Bibles and go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And I want to teach this this evening about what to do when things seem out of control, you know, out of control. Things sometimes do seem like that. But James 1, beginning with verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations or various trials, knowing this, that the testing or trial of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When things seem out of control, I think all of us realize that despite the fact we are Christians and we're seated in heavenly places, that there are some things that we don't have daily control over. For one thing, you can't control the weather. There may be occasions where the Lord might do something wonderful and supernatural for you, like he did with Jesus when he uh, rebuked the winds. But in the main, you can't make any prediction about what the next 365 days are going to be like. You can't control the weather. You also can't control the traffic on the thoroughfares. On the highways, you get out there and you decide you're going to drive the speed limit and you're just thinking everybody else is going to be a law-abiding citizen just like me. And I'm telling you right now, if you drive the speed limit on the Dallas North Tollway in Texas, they're going to run you off the road down there. You're going to have to keep up with the flow of the traffic. So you can't control what's going on in other people's vehicles as they're driving. But, you know, you also you can't control what other people do. You can't control what comes out of their mouth. You can't control their actions. You can't control the vegetation. You have no control over how tall a redwood tree is going to become. It's all in the seed. Same thing with an oak tree. You can stand out there and command it to grow. It'd be 600 feet tall. We'll probably carry you to the grave before you ever see something like that. You can't control the insects. You can't control the animal kingdom. You cannot even control the number of temptations that come to you or when they will come. But I can tell you one thing you can control. You can control your responses and your reactions to your tests and your trials. This is what James is showing us here in chapter one. There are several things that are within your power. And you have some ability and you need to make sure that you exercise this ability. And one of the first things he says in verse number two is when you find yourself in various trials and temptations, he said to rejoice. Count it all joy. So understand that your emotional state, it's it's based on a decision you make. You can choose to be happy. You can choose to be mad. You can choose to be glad or you can choose to be very, very sad. In fact, you can push back clouds of depression by choosing to be joyful. 
by praising God. The scripture says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you determine that I'm going to worship and praise God happily and joyfully in the midst of this trial, then the devil doesn't have the power over you that he wants. Because if there's anything that he wants, he wants to manipulate you like a puppet. He wants to control your emotions. He wants to have you on a roller coaster that has you going up and down. But he cannot cause you to go up and down if you choose to count it all joy. Going to praise God despite what is taking place. Now, the scripture does tell us in this book of James that we should resist the devil. You have power to do that. You can choose not to listen to the thoughts that he implants in your mind. And the devil certainly has strategies and he's been using them for a long time. It's not like he has a different playbook with every generation. It's always the same. Lying, deceit, slander, accusation. Very often we succumb to it. We yield to it because we don't always recognize that it's the devil. So the first thing you can do is rejoice. Don't you think laughter is a whole lot better than sorrow? Don't you like being around people to make you laugh? Make you smile. I do. Yeah, I think that's a it's a medicine, as the scripture says, like a balm that's at work on the inside of you. So the first thing you can do when things do seem to be out of control and you're getting hit with one test and trial after another is just start rejoicing and praising God. That's what James said. That's something you can do. That's within your power. And there's nothing that anybody can do to take that power away from you as a believer. And then the second thing here in verse number three, it talks about your faith, the trying of your faith. So that tells you right there that even though you're passing through a valley or you're being tempted or tried, it is within your ability to keep the faith. You can maintain it. And when people are fighting at you and and bickering around you and the devil is providing doubts and anxieties and there's a restlessness in your soul, the scripture says faith comes by what? By hearing. And what do you have to hear? The word of God. If I'm going to maintain my faith, then I need to hear God's word and I need to hear his word above and beyond all the other voices of this world. Because there are a lot of people in this world that are talking. They're talking on television, they're talking on radio, they're talking in the magazines, they're talking in the books. And when you're maintaining your trust and reliance on God, Scripture says the trying of that faith, it absolutely produces something else. So the production of the trial upon your faith is going to bring forth a fruit and it's called patience. There again is something Within your power, you can be patient or you can be a person that's always in a hurry. You can choose how you want to handle this. Trials do not disappear because you're throwing a tantrum. And trials don't disappear because you feel like the king isn't moving fast enough. But patience is synonymous with endurance, perseverance. To be able to start a race and keep on going even though there are distractions along the side of the road. To begin to walk with God and not backslide even when your friends are falling by the wayside. You can control your faith. You can grow your faith. You can diminish the power of faith in your life. The choice is yours. 
That's something within your power. You make the decision. And this is why Paul said to Timothy, be faithful unto death. It was within his ability to choose to be full of faith or full of doubt. Well, what else does James tell us? He tells us that patience has a work of perfection to perform and that the the desire of the Lord is that you would lack nothing. So it's a process. Patience performs in the midst of a process. The trial comes to you in order to produce something in your life. You may not like the production of what's coming forth. I may not like it either. I can't think of too many folks that like to pass through a fiery furnace, but when you come out on the other side, you're better, you're stronger, your faith is better. In fact, you don't really realize what kind of faith you have until the adversary comes against you with all of these doubts. Then you've got something to to resist him with. This, This process then, it can be short or it can be lengthy. When Steve used to throw pots, he had in his mind what he wanted the clay to become when he got it up there on the wheel. But with his hands, he was able to produce what he desired as the wheel was turning. A sharp instrument, a little bit of water, he could mold and make whatever he wanted. But after he had it formed, that was not the end result. It had to go into the furnace. And it was there in the furnace that if there was some kind of image that's going to be superimposed into the vase or whatever he's using, the fire is going to forge the two so that the two blend and become one. And so what does the scripture say about us? It says that God has called us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And God's not going to let us to be tempted above anything that Jesus Christ himself went through and endured. But when we pass through the fire, Peter said, don't think it's strange that this is happening to you. Your faith being much more precious than gold, when it is finished, there's going to be something even greater than what went into the flames. And this is what God is working on with us. Patience is a powerful thing. A patient person can sit and wait without antagonizing God because they understand that the process in the end is going to produce an aspect of my life where I'm going to be perfect, not lacking the very thing that I'm lacking right now. Now, if you if if you stand in front of the microwave and yell at it after you hit 20 seconds and it's still not moving fast enough, then I'm talking to you. Yeah. Uh, patience is something that that we all need. So notice verse five then. If if anybody's lacking in wisdom, let them ask of God. So you have control over this. The devil. There's no trial or anything that can keep you from praying. You realize even if you didn't have a tongue in your mouth, you could still pray. You could talk to God out of the depths of your heart. Never have to utter a word through your lips. James said, if you lack something, ask God. So that tells me that in my relationship with God, I should remain prayerful. I have power over that. I can spend time in the presence of God before the face of God. 
And know that when I pray, if I'm praying in accordance with his will, then as the scripture makes it very plain, he hears our petitions. We have our petitions, but there's something we have to do. We have to pray. How many Christians don't pray? You'd be surprised by how many Christians do not pray. Don't take the time to pray. The the day is busy with so many other things that they don't have time to just sit down in the presence of God or get on their knees in the presence of God or lay there in the bed and just say, Father, I want to talk to you right now for just a few moments. And God, here is what's on my heart. And David, you know, he said he poured his heart out in the presence of God like it was a drink offering. And, and, I, and I can tell you how precious that is. When, when David was on the run for his life, he made the statement one time, Oh, how I long for water from this particular well. Well, his soldiers heard what General David said, and they thought we need to get man of God, what he wants. So they went and they broke through the other enemy armies, fought them back one by one. I don't know how many people they had to fight just to get to that particular well, draw some water, put it in a cup, and then work their way all the way back to the king. Never lost a drop of water. And when they put it in David's hands, David looked at that and looked at his soldiers bloodied and battered. And he said, there's absolutely no way on this earth I can drink this when you have sacrificed so much just to get this to me. I'll pour this out as an offering to God. So sometimes that's what we have to do. We, we pass through some some pretty bad trials and and uh, about the only person you, you can really pour your heart out to is God. And share your innermost thoughts and secrets and statements with him. And whatever it is that you're lacking, you ask of God. Of course, in verse 5 here, it says, if anybody's lacking wisdom. Of course, we all need wisdom for every trial. I really believe that for every test, for every temptation, for every snare or trap that you face, there's a wisdom that God can give to help you either to avoid that particular trap or if you're ensnared to help you get out of it. God has wisdom for every event that comes up in your life and mine. But we have to ask. We may think that we have the answer for every situation, but we don't. It's like someone with, a, with a weapons, guns. If you're going out shooting and hunting for pheasant, there's a, you, you can use some small ammunition. And small rounds are going to take out some pheasant some duck, and whatever else you may be hunting. But if you've made the determination in your life that you're going to go to Africa and hunt for some big game, then you're going to have to have a little bit more than small ammunition if you're going to shoot at a lion. And you're going to go after a hyena or something. And if you're going to make your way to Northern California or to Canada and decide you want to go after some big bear, I can promise you, you're not going to be able to do too much of anything with a thirty-eight in your hand. If a bear is approaching you, you're going to need something strong. You're going to need some ammunition that'll take the enemy down. Well, the beautiful thing about the wisdom of God is that the adversary doesn't have any kind of trial or test or problem that he can throw at you that is greater or stronger than God's word. He doesn't have one. So you can put the word on it. The devil came to Jesus and said, look, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you just go ahead and bow down. And Jesus said, get behind me and then quoted the scripture. 
The word is enough. The word is enough. Stand on the scripture. When your emotions aren't strong, stand on the scripture. So the Bible says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. And the scripture says, God gives liberally. Yeah, we like that. But that's talking about God gives amply. God gives more than enough. If somebody's reading this from the wrong political party, they'll think God's a Democrat or something like that. But, but it's just saying God gives more than you need. See? The abundance of God is great when it comes to supplying what it is that you're praying for. And it says he doesn't even rebuke you because you take the time to ask. There's some people who get weary of you asking them over and over and over again. Same thing. God doesn't tire of hearing your voice. Yeah. And that's a that's a beautiful thing because our ears sometimes get a bit perturbed when somebody over and over again is repeating uh, something that we've already said we would take care of. And they're unhappy that it hasn't been taken care of. But God doesn't he doesn't whine at you and tell you, please stop bothering me about that. He doesn't. Jesus even gives us a parable one time of a lady who had a problem and she didn't feel like she was getting fairly treated. So she found out the address of the judge and she went and stood outside the judge's house and said, look, I've been wronged. Avenge me of my adversary. And so she just stayed there. And I mean, this man went to bed that night. She was crying out to him. Got up the middle of the night. She was crying out to him. Got up the next morning. Sun came up. That little old woman still out there saying, avenge me of my adversaries. He makes his way out the house, headed to work. She's still following behind him. Never went away. She's in his ears and in his presence. And then it goes on to say that the little judge didn't have any kind of fear of the woman, but yet he relented and gave in to her request. And then Jesus said, how much more would not our heavenly father, who has no respect of persons or fear of man, answer our prayers, the prayers of his children who cry out to him day and night, day and night. Get in God's face and stay there. Stay there. Father, I'm trusting you. Father, I'm believing you. Father, I need your help now. It's Sunday evening. I'm talking to you and I'll be right back here Monday morning, God. And stay right there. Yeah. Let him ask in faith, it says in verse six. So he qualifies the prayer by telling us how we are to pray. You have power over this. You can establish the conditions for your prayer life. You can do that. And he says, ask in faith. You're not wishing. You're not trying to hope something in the presence of God. You're praying because you believe we serve a God that's great and mighty, has a mighty strong arm. He's a supernatural God. He, he's able to intervene. But you're praying because you're believing he will intervene. And that is what faith is. Not that he's able to, but that he will. And this is what James said. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. 
Here's something else within the power of your control. The sea has waves that go back and forth. So the current comes into the shoreline. Then it goes back out. Then it comes back in. Then it goes back out. And as the scripture says in the prophets, it is God who has set the bounds for the waters of the seas and the ocean. So the waters know to only go so far and then turn around and go back. So apart from some kind of a natural upheaval, like an earthquake or something like that, the, the, the shoreline is always going to be the same. And the waters are never going to go beyond that. And when you realize that, and you can see the fluctuation that's taking place all day long, all night long, while you're awake, while you're asleep, while you're at the shoreline, when you're away from the shoreline, you can see that when it comes to your faith and your relationship with God, you can build it so that you become rock solid and you don't waver. You can dig in with your belief in God and say, I don't care what all the voices are saying. God's word for me is my children are going to be saved. And when all the other waters come in and go out and everybody else is telling you one story after another about how they prayed for their child and their child died and hated God and stopped going to church. You are still rooted right here saying, I'm believing that my household is going to be saved. Nothing wavering. Yeah. Now, the scripture says that God's arm is not short, says whose report will we believe? You have to ask that when you're talking about scripture. If Isaiah 53 says he bore my griefs and my sorrows, then why do I have to be depressed? Why do I have to accept when someone says to me where you're lacking this particular thing in your body? So it's only natural that you're going to have a cloud of despair over your life forever. If the word has said to me that he bore that on my behalf, then I can still believe by faith that he can supply what is lacking. See, and I have to do that. So we, we, we listen to what our medical people say because we need to know what we're believing for, okay? If, if I hadn't gone and had the scan on my leg, I wouldn't have known it was a blood clot. But once I found out, then it's time to say, okay, God, I'm doing everything they tell me to do, but I know there's certain things they cannot do, and what they cannot do, you are capable of doing. So I'm believing not only are you capable of doing it, but you will do it for me. See, nothing wavering. And just believe and stand there and, and read God's word to remind yourself of that. I mean, Hezekiah was about ready to die, folks. I mean, life was bad. He turned his face to the wall. He said, look, I mean, this thing is almost over. And God, I need some help. I've been trying to serve you all these years. God told Isaiah to go to Hezekiah and tell him I'm going to extend his life. That's exactly what happened. But Isaiah would have never got the command to go tell Hezekiah that had Hezekiah not turned his face to the wall and prayed See, and prayed. Let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. A man or woman that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Now look, we, we've all been there on some kind of emotional roller coaster. Let's not act like we haven't. We've, we've uh, 
pass through tests and and trials where it just seemed difficult. And, and imagine this, if you were in a if you were in a little small boat, maybe a little bit bigger than a canoe, and you were out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and all you could see in any direction was water and you never could see a hill or a mountain. And every now and then, as you're sitting in that little boat, you happen to get a glimpse out there in the distance of a shark fan. See? And then you look up again, and then pretty soon it looks like that old shark fan is a little bit closer to you. Don't tell me you wouldn't have some emotions that you'd need to hurry up and get in check. Yeah. And of course, if, if you're watching and you're looking over the side and, and as you're sitting there, you feel the shark go beneath you and it actually causes the canoe to move a little bit. Don't tell me there won't be some emotions involved with that. Even an atheist is going to call on Jesus out there. Yeah. An atheist who said they don't even believe in God. They say, oh, God, please. This is not the way I want to see my life end. But here's the point. James metaphor is not about what's in the water. It's not about the fish. It's not about the sharks. It's not about what's dangerous that's living in the water. He says the problem, as he's using his his illustration, he says the problem is the wind that's blowing across back and forth. It's creating all the waves. That's what he said. And he said that this is why when somebody gets in some kind of vessel and they've got a sail boat or something like that, the wind just propels them in a different direction. And James is saying, be careful about your own Christian life. Since you're a vessel that you say Jesus is the captain of the ship, why not let him pilot the vessel rather than you as a deckhand trying to tell him what he ought to do? You just do what you need to do. You just scrub the deck and toss stuff overboard as God reveals to you it needs to go overboard. Throw, throw, throw that bad attitude overboard. See? Get, get rid of that unbelief. Throw that overboard. And then you do what you're supposed to do and God will take care of the rest. Let him handle what seems to be out of your control and you handle what's within your control and you'll find out you'll make it to where you need to be. And that's what God does. He says here in verse seven, don't let that man think that he'll receive anything of the Lord. You're talking about the one that wavers. It's not that they will receive a few things and it's not that they'll receive two or three things. He says that person shouldn't think that they'll receive anything. Of course, they won't think they'll receive anything because they already think that God's not going to answer the prayer. So it's impossible for that person to receive something from God. And then he he closes up the passage by saying in verse eight, a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. What is a double-minded person? A person who is schizophrenic. It's almost like a person with parallel personalities. You know, on one day, you are excited about the king, and then the next day, oh my goodness, this is a rough one. It's a rough one. See, bad day. 
And then the next day you're ready to kick a shoe to the roof as you run around the house shouting, praising God, jumping over the couch because of how good the Lord is. Then the next day you're calling in prayer support. I need cover. See? So we do have the ability to maintain our mind. I think it's in Corinthians where it says bring every thought captive. Yeah. You can't control what's going on in here. I can't control what's going on in your mind. But I do know this. If if I'm having a day that's not the best day when it comes to what I'm thinking about, then it's better for me to go ahead and try to change my mind. So everybody has different things that they like to do. I like to listen to old cassettes. I still have my wife buy me every now and then a good Walkman cassette player because some of my favorite teaching messages are still some old cassettes from the 60s and 70s and 80s. And then I like to just sit there in the chair and just have that going into my head as I'm reading or anything else. Sometimes I'll be sitting there with Tiffany and I have one of the little earpieces in and nothing in this side, having a conversation with her, but I'm still wanting to hear somebody minister that word to me. Trying to make sure I stay singularly focused when it comes to the things of God. Double-minded man is unstable. I don't want to be unstable. I want to be strong. I want to be well-grounded in the things of God. So I'm careful, and you should be careful about what you put in you. And that way you'll be careful about what comes out of you. We've all heard the phrase, garbage in, garbage out. See? So if we if we take the time to build our Christian life upon principles that produce Christian faith in God, then it's a whole lot easier to not be a person that's double-minded. I don't want to be going here and there at the same time. But let's meditate on the scriptures. Scripture says he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind stayed on him. It says in Joshua chapter one, this book of the law should always be in your mouth. Day and night. That's what it said. Somehow or another, this this word, this word should be coming out of your mouth. The scripture says, let your conversation be seasoned with grace. What is grace? Empowerment, divine favor. There should be something in your speech that when I'm talking to you, that lets me know God is bigger and I'm bigger now since I've had a conversation with you. You should feel like a champion when you leave church because you've been walking with God. If you're not walking with God, conviction of the Holy Ghost will make you feel like a heathen. But if you're walking with God, you should feel like a warrior for the king because this is what God desires. So I think James was on the mark. John Wesley said, if you complain about things you can't control, you're blaming God. But if you complain about things you can control, you're a fool. That's what John Wesley said. So let's not complain about what we can control. And what we can't control. Let's just leave it in the hands of God. So count it all joy, folks. Rejoice, be happy, be excited about God. If you come into contact this week with someone that is not so pleasant, oh, you know, you, you know, be scriptural. You know, when they're yelling and screaming and cussing at you, you say, oh, I recognize you. 
Yes, pastor just preached about you. You're that various trial that's come into my life. So I'm going to count it all joy. Ha, ha, ha. I've got victory over you. You have no power over me. Now, that, pro- that person probably won't come around you at all again. Because they'll probably be thinking, I think he or she has lost their mind. That may be good. That may be good. We, we need the mind of Christ to defeat the adversary. Amen? There's no doubt about it, folks. Let's stand. There's no doubt about it at all. I don't know if anybody in here has ever battled depression and battled excessive sorrow or anger or anything like that. But I do want to tell you this. It's a lot easier to overcome it if you know he already won the war. You already know he won the war. And knowing that he has won the war, that means that I can engage in the battle realizing that despite how I'm feeling in the fight, the outcome is always going to be the same. I'm going to win. Yeah, I'm going to win. And the scripture makes it very plain. We're seated in heavenly places. The devil is defeated. He knows he's defeated. He just doesn't want you to know he's defeated in that particular circumstance he's trying to bring into your life. So whether it's sometimes a a marital situation, a problem in our body, a problem on our job, a fractured relationship with a friend, whatever these things might be, I can assure you the devil doesn't want you to think you're even close to victory. So he just whispers in your ear all day and all night. So, you know, it's never, ever going to be repaired. And you're going to be battling this addiction for the rest of your life. And you can try to fight and try to resist if you want to. But I'm sitting right here on your shoulder and you're never going to have the victory. Now, the reason he's saying that is because he knows that victory is that close. We just believe the release of faith in our life. Release of faith makes God's love that much easier for us to receive. And you don't have to be fearful because the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. All fear. Amen. There's no doubt about it. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that you have given us considerable power and might. You've even given us your name, Lord, that we can use in the middle of every struggle. You said whoever calls on the name of the Lord would be saved, delivered, and rescued. And so, Father, we thank you. There's never been a bondage, never been a trap, never been a snare that the name of Jesus cannot pull us out of. So, Father, we're expecting miracles to be released in our lives right now. We're expecting your presence, your anointing to break and destroy yokes as we're standing here in your presence. We thank you that where two or three are gathered, you are here, Lord. And when you're here, you desire to touch people. So, God, reach for your hand right now. Lay that blessed nail-scarred hand upon every man, woman, boy, and girl that's in this place right now. We honor you. We thank you. We release our faith right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Amen.